So the Buddha's advice about how we should communicate with others is that what we should communicate should be well-intended, true, beneficial, timely, not harsh, not harsh, and ideally wanted. (laughs) But not always. He was quite prepared to say things to people that they did not want to hear. Uh, I remember (laughs) this phrase, even the Buddha, you know, this phrase attributed to him, oh, foolish man, (laughs) you know, or woman, oh, foolish woman, you know, oh, foolish being. Uh, He was prepared to say that, you know. So anyway, so those those are the guidelines right there in terms of how we speak. And where the action really is a lot is with the one about not harsh, okay? But inside that, there's a lot of room to speak up and to say what's really true. And a wonderful way to frame that is to primarily speak for yourself rather than trying to influence others. There's a place for trying to influence others. It's okay. There's a place to win friends and influence people, all right? But there's a great teaching from Ajahn Chah, who's no longer alive, who's a profound teacher in Southeast Asia, um, I think in Thailand, Jack Kornfield trained with him, a number of people trained with him, Joseph Goldstein and others. Ajahn Chah is really the godfather of the Vipassana movement in America, pretty much. And he had a great teaching in which he said, tend to the causes, but don't worry about the results. In effect, he said, you know, if you want, if you have a tree, a fruit tree, right? You get it, you pick out a good one, you put it in a good spot, you fertilize it, you water it, you pick the bugs off it, you take good care of it. And, you know, hopefully at some point it gives you an apple. But you cannot make it bear fruit. All you can do is tend to the causes, right? That's wonderfully freeing. But also, it puts us squarely in terms of our own responsibilities. It's both tough and kind. It's tough in terms of, hey, are you tending to the causes or not, right? It's kind in the sense that once you tend to the causes, you cannot control the results. Be at peace with the results. So interpersonally, I think a lot of the time what we're trying to do is we're all over there in the black box of their head, reacting to it, trying to control it. But what's going on in their head? Is there anything as, in, as ephemeral as thought? You know, little electromagnetic waves, you know, little momentary coalitions and synapses. No thought lasts longer than two or three seconds before those synaptic coalitions decay and new ones form. They're just eddies in the stream constantly swirling away, and all eddies disperse. As the surgeon client of mine once said to me, Rick, we have a saying in the OR, all bleeding stops eventually. (laughs) One way or another. (laughs) All eddies disperse eventually, one way or another. There's nothing so evanescent or transient or ephemeral as the black box of the other person's head. So yeah, do what you do, you know, I think of it as the 80-20 rule. Okay, 20% of your attention on what's going on inside that black box, but, 20, but 80% on how to become a better person yourself. And that takes us to the notion of unilateral virtue, which is a great refuge, it's a great resource, it's the idea that no matter what they do, we have our own code of integrity that we try to live by as best we can, uh, we um, affirm that we will live by that code 
uh, which includes that when we slip, as we will, we go back to it when we realize it or are reminded by others. Okay? Um, so that's the notion of unilateral virtue. Uh, it doesn't mean being a milk toast or a doormat or walking on eggshells. If anything, by operating by your own code, like let's suppose the Buddha's six guidelines for relationships, um, that if you do that, for one, that's a cause you can tend to. No matter what they do, you can do that. That's under your control. You're a hammer rather than a nail in that regard. Second, it feels good to operate in virtue. What the Buddha called sila, the three great pillars of practice in Buddhism and in really the, any kind of good life. Or, and you see these three themes sometimes with other words and the other contemplative traditions of the world. Uh, in Buddhism, sila, samadhi, and panya, virtue, concentration, or mindfulness, and wisdom. Virtue, mindfulness, wisdom, right? Virtue, sila. In the heart of sila, a lot of it is restraint. We govern ourselves, we regulate ourselves. When you are governed in that way, it feels good, right? There is the bliss of blamelessness, as the Buddha says. We know ourselves that we're not pouring gasoline on the fire, right? We know ourselves that if a videotape was being made and recorded, I find this is quite a useful thing, to do, that it's being recorded and then it's going to be played, you know, five, ten years from today if while you're sitting in a room with fill in the blank, people you care about, your kids, your family, your friends, what have you, um, you know, you're not going to squirm too much if you see it, right? <laughs> that feels good, doesn't it? Also, it's the best odd strategy for getting good behavior from others. If you live by your own code, they're more likely to treat you well. If you relentlessly go to the maximum reasonable extent of personal responsibility for their grievances with you and then zero them out line by line by line. It's kind of hard to, to treat you badly after a while. And then if that doesn't work alone, guess what? You're on the moral high ground. All right? You're in a position to say, hey, hey, I've been, fill in the blank, coming home on time, doing the dishes, keeping my agreements, staying straight, not yelling, being reasonable. You know, I've been doing that now three, four weeks in a row, or three, four days, or hours in a row. Weeks are better. Um, how about you? All right. Okay, so comments or questions about unilateral virtue, and then let's dive into this pr practice. Yeah. Yeah, I understand and, and employ with and agree with all of the, the, the premise of individual responsibility, unilateral lateral virtue, in terms of, you know, conflict with someone who generally you've got... Um, at least a neutral or positive relationship with, but what if you're locked into an inevitable kind of um, situation with someone who's actively trying to do you harm? Oh, great question. So let's say you're operating with unilateral virtue as you define it, and that's very important. It's as you define your own code, okay, deep, especially deep down. But what do you do with someone who's actively oppressing you or others you care about, who's actively doing harms. Um, I think you do the best you can to restrain that person or govern them or influence them to go in a different way. How do you do that without being harsh, not beneficial? Not, you know. All right, right. You wish them well in jail. Right? You know, I, I'm not trying to be glib, although 
that was cute, but no. <laughs> what I mean by that, and I have a little list, I think a lot of us do, uh, but it's where you have both. Um, you wish them well. I mean, for me, the test is very interesting. Like having done this a fair amount, a lot of real nice, loving kindness, West Coast, Marin, Buddhist people, blah, blah. Let's talk about Dick Cheney, you know? Or whoever your is on your list, right? Or whoever, you know, as they say, you know, you think you're so enlightened, go home for the holidays, right? It's like that. So there, you know, that's the real test, isn't it? So for me, it's to, it's to, for myself, out of self-interest, realize that the best thing for me is to have compassion for them. That it's actually self-interested. It's selfish to have a lovingness for others, even people who are wrongdoers, really. The second thing is... To, to me, to live by our code, which does not need to include lying or screaming or, or um, hitting or what have you. And on the basis of that, doing what we can to make the world a better place. To me, they're not at all inconsistent. And if anything, as people like Gandhi or Martin Luther King Jr., Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., or the Dalai Lama, or all the unspoken heroes of daily life who stand up and push the world to be a better place, most of whom, interestingly, in the world, I think, or I don't know if that's maybe an exaggeration, but a large fraction, if not the majority, are, are women in the unsung networks of neighborhoods and schools and daily life, um, really standing up. Um, you gradually push to make things better. To me, they're, they're not inconsistent. And I think people like you know, uh, Nelson Mandela uh, or others are great examples of people who um, kept pushing, but they didn't lose their own sila. They didn't lose their own center. And if anything, their own cent staying centered enabled them to, to fight the long fight, because it sometimes is a fight, but to be able to sustain the marathon of it. Um, I, that 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 question comes up in the work that I do all the time, um, and and the, from my experience, there's no easy answer to that question. But it 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 often comes back from what I see to the ter this grieving loss piece. And, and most of us are afraid to recognize that there's certain things we can't make right from our like prejudicial version of what right is. And, and, and one of the things we struggle with as much as anything else is an acknowledgement of our powerlessness and our vulnerability. And, and there are many situations which we make believe that our anger or our righteousness is somehow going to make some kind of positive difference. And it often just makes our stomach tight and our head hurt. And it's instead of the work of surrender, which is not everything turns out the way our limited perspective of self-interest wants it to. And, and that is such a crucial, from what I've seen, part of, of, of the whole spiritual awareness is it can hurt and it can be different than I would have hoped and I can still choose 
this unilateral virtue, but I'm not choosing it because I'm necessarily going to get my way, or I'm not choosing it because I'm somehow going to be free of pain. I'm choosing it because that's the decision I made, and, and, and it's the best that I can do in an awful situation is to acknowledge how deeply I'm hurt and I choose to be the most kindness I can. Or what, you, you, There's no push, but it comes from the, like this paradoxical horror of our own impotence and the strength that even within that impotence, we can still choose some goodness. And, and that, that's, that's often the best that I have seen working with people who have had children murdered or, you know, like just the unimaginable horrors, but we all have them. You know, we watch our bodies decay, whatever it is. And, or we watch other people that we love bodies decay. They're, they, this, I don't know, I, I, I am not as comfortable as some people are with anger as a solution because I see that a lot of the anger is simply projected self-interest about I know how it should have been or I know what's right and the unfortunate truth is we don't know what's right we just know what we want and boy that is that is just tough so I just wanted to add that, yeah. that deep vulnerability piece. That was beautiful. Um, so right there, and then we, we'll move on. You used the word surrender, and I'm wondering if you could uh, expound upon the difference between surrender and uh, being a victim. Let me, let me handle that this afternoon when I talk more. Because I will. Let, let Rick, <laughs> I will. I'll talk more. No, I think you're you're at a super great question. Yeah, it's a great and, question. But it you know, just... I think we're. Do you have something fast about it? Or? It's so central to what I teach that it would just be easier if I withheld that question. Okay. A distinction that I would make related to this that I, that could be relevant is that. Um, I think there, there are two pitfalls, in effect, that we want to try to steer a middle path between, all right, us and Goldilocks. On the one hand, it, there's the pitfall that Fred just named profoundly. If anyone knows about that world, you know, it really is Fred, uh, where we are caught up in our own righteousness and our own view about how it should be and a kind of partial take and there's a, we're identified with it, we're in the movie, you know, Right? We have felt wronged, I've been cheated, I'm mistreated, and so forth. Okay. And it's a pitfall to get excessively sucked into that. Right? That's a clear pitfall. On the other hand, the other pitfall is to not legitimize and validate real wrongs that have been done to us and to others. And to be, have the courage, frankly, of our own convictions that, you know, good is better than bad. <laughs> right? Um, you know, uh, there are clearly, uh, you know, there are a lot of things that are, I think it's okay to take a moral stance with regard to, right? Uh, fill in the blank. And honestly, I have to say that in my own personal experience with people, at least in my population, the people I've known, the people I've bumped into in life, for, for every person who makes the first mistake, 
who excessively gets involved in kind of a righteous case, right? There are four or five others who actually under-legitimize their own wounds and under-acknowledge them, do that first step of you know, practice, be with them, really feel them, and name them and go, yeah, this is not right. Something better should be happening here. Right? Which then goes to my second point, which is your, your, your comment there, Claire. You know, I, I think there's a place for you know, a moral stance. I mean, there's no way out of the values trap. In other words, having no values is a value. Being completely postmodern, beyond all values, <laughs> is a value. There's no way out of it. We have to declare ourselves one way or the other. The only question is, what do we declare ourselves for, right? And my own view about it is to have a kind of recognition. See, this is the place where a person can, in the language of the Dalai Lama, which is a wonderful example, he says, my friends, the adversary Chinese government, they're his friends, and they are his adversaries, and he knows it. It's both those, you know? at one level, we're adversaries. At another level, we're all in the lifeboat together. So in that level, the way I look at it is that I feel, first, guess what? Our own capacity to produce results of change in the world, including the people sitting across the dinner table or, let a, or in Washington, D.C., etc., is really very limited. And I think embedded a bit in what Fred said, there's a kind of grandiosity sometimes that we think, oh, we could do, we could do more. Well, we really have to come to peace. We have to surrender, I think, to our limited ability. We contend to the causes, but there are a lot of results that are outside of our control. So we do what we can, and there's a refuge and a peace there. And second, my own stance about it is basically summarized, it's bad enough that you have my body. I'm not going to give you my mind as well. Because if they're upsetting me, if they're in my head, it's bad enough to have my body, my tax dollars, my kid, my whatever, fill in the blank, but um, I'm not going to give my mind as well. You know, I'm not going to let them get in there. I'm not going to let them do that to me. Uh, so. so let's do a practice. Let's make this real experientially. So I want to set this up, okay? And obviously, the real truth in a workshop like this, we have six hours of teaching and time, you know, with lunch break, et cetera, six hours. So. There's a lot of ground to cover with some big topics. I would like to say something actually about this and about everything. You know, there's a Zen saying, nothing left out. But of course, you always have to leave something out. <laughs> Language alone, someone very wisely came up to me and said, you know, Rick, when you said this is not therapy, right, that could make it feel like, well, you better suppress your emotions here, which of course is not the case. Just take good care of yourself. But it's hard. Well. So basically, nothing left out means don't leave out the fact that you're always going to leave something out. So for Fred and me here, we cannot help but leave stuff out, including the fact that we're male, we're white, we're middle-aged, we're professional, um, we're married, we're heterosexual, whatever. We're gonna, our examples are going to leave things out. And uh, what I've come to appreciate is that it's not just neutral to leave something out, especially for people who've been left out. You know, my, our intent here is benign or neutral, hopefully benign, uh, but the impact can be harmful when we leave something out, when we don't name a group, don't name a category, don't name a, a kind of wound. And I want to just acknowledge that and almost you know, apologize for that up front. It's inevitable, but it can still have impacts. So I just want to be straight with you about that and invite you to fill in the blanks that we leave because of our own limitations. Okay? So in that light... Now, moving into a practice here, 
we're going to do a thing for about 40 minutes, 45 minutes total. I think we'll have lunch about 11, about 12.40, okay? So first up, pick a situation. Could be a person. You can do what we're going to do, which will make sense in a minute as I explain it, with a general area in life where it would be great to assert yourself more, like related to your career or your occupation or your art or something. And that's fine. You'll probably get the most value, though, if you do this process, this practice, related to something where there are some, you're, there are some issues. You're aggrieved. There are, um, you're, there's a grievance. There are wounds. There are harms. There are things perhaps to forgive. And you can use this person or situation later in the afternoon with, the, with what Fred is going to be bringing in here. Or not, either way. So with regard to the material that where you might be aggrieved, you can bring that to bear where it's about someone or some cause you want to really assert yourself more for. That's great. Like a child in school or a situation, a cause in the world, whatever. Or you can apply this to someone that you are in a tangle with. Uh, you feel harmed by. That person could be someone in your life today. It could also be someone in your past, even someone you cannot have any direct communication with or shouldn't. Could be someone who's no longer alive. Uh, it's, it's okay, too, to do that. So you're going to pick a person. I'll talk about it as a person. It could be a larger a situation. So the other thing is you will could do this both in terms of... Um, Reflection and some writing. There are pa there's paper and pens over there. I've got some pads up here. Happy to share. Spirit Rock has asked me to ask you to please don't put that pen back in your purse or pocket, but leave it on the table when you're done today. But if you walk out of here, it's really okay with your pen. Um, <laughs> but try to return it. Okay. And then the other thing is a little bit later we'll do something with pairs. You don't have to do it, just like you don't have to do anything here. But for the sake of efficiency, if you are going to do something with a pair, why don't you identify a partner? So maybe take 30 seconds to figure out who your partner is. Could be someone you know that you came with. Could be someone you don't know. If you'd like a partner and don't have one, raise your hand, please. Anybody want a partner here? How about you two? You see it? Can you make eye contact? Great, great. Okay, good, fine. And you want a partner? Anybody else want a partner right there? You too? Good. Anybody else want a partner doesn't have one? Okay, back there. Anybody other with a hand up? There, there. See? There. You too. I make eye contact. Okay. Is that okay? Great. Anybody else? One more? Great. Anybody? Partner, partner. Over there? Somewhere? Where? Hand up. To you? See it? See someone? I'm not seeing it. Maybe you'll find that person. Anyone over there partner with her? Okay, we'll work it out somehow. All right, so you ready? Here we go. So first of all, with eyes open or closed, bring to mind your sort of posse, your, your, your committee of supporter protectors. So first up, Bring to mind some people or beings, spiritual beings perhaps, um, in your life today or perhaps in your life at another time, who you feel will support you. Get a sense of who these people are. Maybe even imagine sitting in some kind of a space or being in a space with them and they're with you. 
They're for you. They don't have to be perfect. Maybe they've got a little attitude or they don't say it the right way, but you know they're for you. They wish you well. Notice what it's like to be with almost like a committee or a board. You know, people who encourage you, support you, are fair and just. Perhaps write down the names of these people. Make them real for yourself. Maybe imagine them one by one nodding or smiling in their own way, in your direction. And then, while with your sense of protectors, now let's consider this situation, this person, this situation, where you really want to focus on marshalling strength and assertiveness. And to begin with, in your mind or on paper, clarify the facts, whatever they are. Basically, without getting into a case about it, a story, you know, uh, what, what happened? Described as objectively and fairly as possible. Or what is happening? For example, what are the settings? in which things go down with this person. What do they do or say or what did they do in the past? What did you do or say? What did others do or say? Take a couple minutes here just to clarify the facts. No praise, no blame, just the facts. If some of the facts are hard to bear or see clearly, go back to your protectors. Keep exploring what it's like to face the facts clearly, mindfully, in relationship to people who support you, beings who support you.
Don't hurt yourself by getting sucked into old pain. Touch it lightly. Just know what the basic facts were. Particularly while continually restoring that felt sense of relationship with others who care about you. And second, what's your experience been? Of course, you've probably been in touch with some of that along the way, but now increasingly focus on how has all this landed for you? How have you been affected? And see if you can hold a mindful recognition of how you've been affected, for better or worse, Um, and all the experiences you've had related to this person or situation, see if you can hold that with some kind of quality of compassion for yourself, goodwill for yourself. You might explore a way of gently noting your experience with language like, there is. In other words, there is anger. There is hurt. Or there was anger. There was sorrow. There was loss. There is grief. Without identifying with those experiences. They're there, they're present in awareness. They come and they go. Now, third step here, and feel very free to circle back to the one or both of the first two steps of just establishing the facts and then establishing what your experience has been. Now, in the third step, start moving toward clarifying what your stand is here. In other words, what, based on all this, do you want to do from now on yourself? which is what you have control over. 
what do you want to, for example, say to this person? Or if this person's no longer alive or available to talk with or it's not appropriate to talk with, what, what would you say to that person in your own imagination? Or what support would you like to get from others that it's your stand to ask for or open to? or go get. In other words, how do you want to be about this person or situation based on a sense of your own legitimate needs? So there's an opening here to your needs, your wholesome desires. For example, the need to be safe and to feel safe from inner or outer harm. Or a need to have people you rely upon be trustworthy and dependable and keep their word. or a need not to be yelled at or dominated or constantly interrupted or nagged. Maybe a need to be able to disengage from people that are hassling you. Or any of these needs applied to someone you're caring for and trying to protect with your assertiveness. Maybe you have a need to come to peace and quit trying to get blood from a stone. You know, and the saying from psychotherapy, milk from the stone breast. You know? Maybe that dog just won't hunt. You, know? you have a need to lay that burden down. Quit trying to grow roses in a parking lot. So keep clarifying your stand. You know, you're sorting through here. How do I want to be? What do I want to think? You know, acts of thought, word, and deed. In other words, what's my stand about how I want to be on my own side here? What's my stand toward the ways I've been afflicted inside my own mind with this whole situation? In other words, how do, what, how do I, what's my stand toward my own mind? What's my stand toward my own anger? Or what's my own stand toward that being inside, maybe a little kid inside, who was really mistreated? Do I want to be kinder to that inner being, that little kid perhaps, rather than ashamed of her tears or his tears?
Perhaps my stand, your stand includes naming the truth to the other person, at least inside your own mind. If that were part of your stand, what would you be naming? What truth would you speak to power here? If you like, imagine that your protectors are with you in some room that's totally safe and protected. And then at some distance in front of you that feels comfortable, which might mean across the planet or universe, (laughs) or 10 feet away, that other person is, is sitting, quiet, receptive, restrained perhaps. And you have this opportunity to say whatever you want to say. And truly, let yourself let that person be a thousand miles away, if that works for you. Seen through the wrong end of a telescope, far, far away, in a galaxy long, long ago, whatever. You know, what do you want to say with your protectors at your side, knowing that that other person can't talk back? cannot hassle you, cannot hurt you, cannot interrupt you. You're in a completely protected setting. What do you want to communicate? What are your undelivered communications to that person? In this, you can include your protectors, perhaps one or more, speaking on your behalf. That's a wonderful and powerful thing to imagine and take in, that they're speaking up for you to this person. Naming things, being on your side. You might imagine that as well. What's being communicated? And in the next few minutes, moving to a close with this part, also consider what course you will take no matter what the other person does. Or what is your stand about what you, about the X you will do if they do Y? Or if they don't do Y, what's the X you will do? Or if this person is no longer in your life? 
no matter what they did or, or are doing, what's the path you're going to take? I mean, for example, if they don't treat your child better, you're going to pull your child out of the school or write a letter to the superintendent. Or if they don't fix, the landlord doesn't fix the roof, you're going to move. Or if that person doesn't uh, keep uh, hassling you, uh, you're going to hang up the phone. What are you going to do? What causes are you going to tend to, no matter what the results are? So that your well-being and peace of mind is increasingly unconditioned, not based on the conditions of what other people do or how other situations are. Yeah, so your your well-being, your peace of mind is increasingly not dependent on circumstances, on conditions. It's increasingly unconditioned. It's appropriate to wish that others treat you better or act in certain ways and and to help yourself deal with the impact of, of the first darts but that increasingly your own happiness, your equanimity, your peace of mind, and so forth is not based on whether in the eight worldly winds, you know, in Buddhism there is pleasure or pain, praise or um, blame, fame or ill repute, gain or loss. That increasingly your well-being is not based on what's happening outside of you. What's your stand in that regard? Okay. Now, if you're willing to, if it's okay with you, in a moment uh, I'll ask you to get together with your partner and, you know, only talk about what you want to talk about. Uh, as a guy who grew up in the human potential movement in the West Coast, I still, I can think, I think sometimes we say too much. You know, there is a place for privacy. It really is okay. You know, but basically, so take good care of yourself. And when you talk, I'll just have, we'll pay, have one of you be an A, one of you be a B. A's will go first. That'll keep it simple. And uh, so the first, for five minutes each way, uh, there'll be mainly a speaker and mainly a listener. So A's when you start. You'll, mo- you'll mostly say whatever you want to say where you talk about what you've gotten so far, what, you've, what the facts were, what the uh, experience has been, but most of all, what your stand is. And it's okay to discover your stand in talking about it or explore some questions about your stand. And uh, the listener mainly listen. Don't offer advice, you know, don't hold forth with your infinite wisdom, you know, save that for your teenagers, you know, but whatever. Um, uh, or not. And um, anyway, mostly listen. But it's okay to interject or ask a question if something's unclear. Okay? And then at five minutes, I'll give a time signal and switch. Okay, is it clear what you're about to do?
Okay, you share with a partner. Okay, find your partner if you want to be with one. And if you don't, it's really okay. Oh, actually, can you pause it? Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.